Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. And I'm here with a fantastic guest who um, I actually met in a bar. But we were at a vet conference, but I will always remember, (laughs) yes, it was a legitimate reason to be at this bar, but, um, but I uh, have been following her and always happy to get a chance to chat with her ever since. Debbie Boone, welcome to Central Line. Thank you, Katie. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I, like you said, I've, I've been following you too. We were, yeah, actually at, at a conference, I think called, um, done right yeah actually that's true yeah. that was it so we were here for legitimate reasons to learn how to get things uh, accomplished and and here we are here that's we are true yes things. absolutely and and you had a lot of great stories like you're a great person to meet in a bar because you have a ton of stories to tell um and uh and I, I loved hearing about your experience like in mixed practice and stuff like that was that was pretty cool I'm really glad you're here today we have so much we can talk about today um but before we get started would you mind just uh, telling our listeners a little bit about yourself in case they're not sure, familiar with sure. you yet well I am a North Carolina State graduate go pack and I was one of those wannabe veterinarians. But after three or four years of school, I went, now nah, I'm done. <laughs> and um, I left uh, there and I managed some of uh, my family's restaurants for a couple of years. But I always still wanted to be in veterinary medicine. So I moved to Greensboro, North Carolina and got a job as a part-time CSR in a hospital. Uh, I worked there for about six months, decided minimum wage was going to starved me to death and left there to manage a couple of other businesses and then um, sold one of my veterinary practice owners a watch one day. Um, and he said, you know, I need a manager. Come and manage my hospital. And that was kind of how I got my job. So it was just random coming to, I, and then my job description was, uh, I don't know what you're going to do, but here. So this is a <laughs> lot of job descriptions for a lot of managers out there in the world. And, and so it worked out. So for 19 years, I managed the AHA accredited practice that actually was AHA accredited for 25 years, probably even more now. And then I moved to a large animal, I mean, a mixed animal practice that also we got through the first AHA accreditation and the second year there uh, doing accreditation. And so I'm kind of an AHA girl. I, I drink the Kool-Aid. I believe in that level of practice and the quality of medicine and when I left practice, I started a consulting business and focused a lot on communication. I did all the communication classes for Patterson for, well, I just celebrated my 12-year anniversary of my first trip out. So probably have taught more than 10,000 students. Wow. Yeah, directly uh, in, in small classrooms, 20 and 30 at a time, communication and client service. And today I focus a lot in my consultancy on developing great culture, good communication skills, client service skills. Um, I, I can do the math, but I don't love the math, right? So yeah. I, love, I love growing teams because if you grow your people, your business will grow. Hear, hear to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't love the math either. I need to never do a you know work on a spreadsheet if I can help it. So <laughs> here's to playing to your strengths, which it seems like you've done very effectively. I try to do that. Yeah. 
Um, so you, I mean, with all of that teaching and all of that speaking, I mean, you have been such a presence on the speaking circuit and online um, in the vet space for so long. I feel like it's it's likely that a lot of our listeners have met you in some capacity before, um, even if they, you know, they it was indirectly through recommendation or something they heard from someone else. You've just had so much influence in the space. Um, and thank you for uh, being and for drinking the AHA Kool-Aid, I am drinking it too. And I love AHA and, um, and I loved working at AHA practices. So, um, but, uh, you know, this, this episode, we really want this conversation to speak to the CSRs, the client care teams, receptionists, everybody who's right there on the front lines. Um, and so I hope they're listening. I hope this is something that can speak directly to them because as we said before we started this call, they just seem to get overlooked in terms of content that's directly for them. Um, and I just, I think that's a shame because they have such a tough job. Um, but before we get into that, one last question for you, what is something you have your own podcast? Um, it's called, uh, the bend and, uh, you talk to a lot of cool people. We've seen you all over the place, but what is something that people would not guess about you? They probably wouldn't guess that growing up in the middle of Tobacco Road, basketball heaven, that I am not a sports fan. And ah. <laughs> I am, uh, my mother was a huge sports fan. My husband is a huge sports fan it's when it comes to basketball. Um, I was at North Carolina State when we were the national champions. And I'm kind of like, Ugh, it's basketball season. <laughs> You know, I am surprised by that. I would have said you were a sports fan, and I follow you on social media. I've never seen you post about sports, but no, for some reason I, I think that. I am very much into teams and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and coaching, but not as far as traditional <laughs> sports. I, I believe that vet med is a team sport. <laughs> there you go. Yes, me too. Vet med is my sport. I mean, I run and stuff, but yeah, I'm not a... Go sports. <laughs> sports well. I'm going to go on my run by myself. There you, <laughs> so, there you go. Let's start by giving some serious props to the teams that help us, um, you know, by they're like our human shields. <laughs> Those of us I who mean. don't work at the front desk, no. um, they answer all manner of phone calls. I mean, the volume of phone calls that our phone room answered in a day was just staggering. And this job has always been hard. I mean, you've worked it. Mm-hmm. I've worked it. But it seems like since COVID especially, it's gotten especially hard. Um, Do you feel like that's true? Do you feel like people are different now? I feel, well, there's a lot of things going on with the mental health of the population. And this is not just veterinary clients. This is people everywhere. And we've all seen it, like the crazy stuff that we see on the news and the fights on airplanes. But if you understand that humans are tribal animals. We work and do best in collaborative packs. And then when we isolate ourselves from the world through, you know, what COVID did to us, then it is not our nature to be alone. And it really hurts us mentally. Um, Then you add on top of that the constant fear of maybe getting sick, um, social unrest. Uh, Now we have a war. Um, Gas prices are going up. Inflation. I mean, there's just so much that just keeps bombarding us mentally. And then I think probably the most 
detrimental to our mental health is social media. And, you know, and you and I are both on social media, so we know there's there are certainly benefits to it. There's great support there. There's I, I, I was so impressed with what veterinary managers did at the beginning of COVID because they were so open and sharing with their solutions to how we were going to manufacture curbside care and what worked and what didn't. Um, so that was a great benefit to us to be in these social groups. But the negative is that we also tend to get into um, uh, tunnels, right? So yeah. we're only hearing certain things because of the way the algorithms work. And that is keeping our cortisol levels kind of amped up. And the problem with that is that humans aren't meant to run around like that, Um very much limbic brain responses are happening. And I think the challenge for the CSR teams and for all of us is to have behavioral acumen. And, and this is what we don't teach. We teach people, when you answer the phone, say this. But we don't teach people to be aware of the emotion behind why people are acting the way they are. And uh, several years ago, when Fear Free first became um, a thing, I became Fear Free certified. And I was just blown away at the lessons I was learning in animal behavior because I'd been teaching it for 10 years in human behavior. Mm. And we really are animals and our limbic yeah. brain responses are the same. And I think when we realize that, we can we can give a little grace to people because they are fractious cats who really are just terrified. Right? I feel very seen right now. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good good equivalency. I have never thought about that. Um, the idea that fear-free, like sometimes we're actually more attuned to the behavior of the cat in our exam room than we are to the clients on the phone. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I, I'm just thinking about when we learn about animal behavior, we learn that there, there isn't really a level to their stress. You know, when we put them in a carrier and pack them off to the clinic, they don't know if this is like certain death or if they're going to get a nail trim and no one's going to die yeah. to them. It's the same amount of terror. Mm -hmm. And because they, they don't know when it's going to end or what's going to happen at the end. And that's us. That's been us since March of 2020. Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. Normally, we can reason our way through things, but there hasn't been right. a lot we could reason our way through in the last right. two years. Right. Well, every time we think that we're getting to kind of a steady state, we something else bombards our limbic brain, and mm -hmm. then we're we're back up there again, and and we become fatigued. Yeah. There is there is it, it's very much like a, um, an abused spouse mm -hmm. that there's a constant spike. Of, of fear and the drop down and the spike of fear and the drop down. And then eventually there is so much fatigue that you're always in an agitated state and your, your mind can't recover. So this is why I'm talking about, you know, that behavior acumen to be able to be really careful about the story that you tell yourself mm. and, and catch that limbic brain starting to go off the rails and then engage the cerebellum that says, okay, now, this is fear response. This, a, a saber-toothed tiger is not attacking me. Yeah, I live here in this house. Everything is good. I need to calm my brain down, and I don't need to let my brain run loose. And so that's, some of it is emotional intelligence. You know, that is part of it, but, but 
the other part of that is understanding that that same thing is happening to that human on the other side of the telephone. What can I do to de-escalate, to not ramp them up, and then be where they are? You know, that, that empathy is so important in these challenging situations. And I realize that some people come in just loaded for bear, but a lot of times we haven't paid attention to the subtle signs. Mm-hmm. We've missed the body language. We've missed the the cue um, that would have changed the direction of the conversation. And sometimes we have inadvertently been the flamethrower uh, because yeah. we say things that set people off. And we don't realize that we're doing it and we don't mean right. to do it, but it just... It's presentation, right? It is what you say. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's a very good point, too, because I think a lot of times when people are hearing this conversation and they're hearing people talk about de-escalation and, you know, and how to learn how to talk to people, essentially, and read people's body language, there seems to be kind of an undercurrent of... of well, because you're really bad at it now, (laughs) you know, like, because you really suck at doing this thing that should be part of your job. And really, when it comes down to it, we all are bad at it when we're all stressed and upset. And we have all been stressed and upset for a long time. And so that's the other side of the coin is that clients are more stressed and anxious than they've ever been. And so are we, which limits our ability to, to kind of reason our way through things. Yeah. Well, I just wrote a, an article on how to fire a client for AHA. I just came out. And it it's two twitchy people, right, on both sides <laughs> of the coin. So we're both all twitchy. Yeah. And, and we're looking for anything that sets us off. And in normal times, when we are in a calm state, those are things that would not have raised an eyebrow. Mm-hmm. But now it's the one, like the one nail in the coffin that we just can't take this last whoever said no to us or, you know, the, the, the one more thing that we couldn't take, you know, in our day. And I, I, you know, it's something as simple as when people call up and say, you know, I want an appointment and they're always assuming that it should be like it always has been. They could get in the same day or the first thing the next morning and we blindside them by saying, Oh, I'm really sorry. We don't have an appointment for three weeks. Well, first of all, they should not have been surprised by that. Unless they're a brand new client, we should have been pushing information out about the state of veterinary medicine, about the fact that we are booked out so far in advance, about the fact that there's a whole lot more animals being cared for than there have been, because our clients should have been getting that information from the beginning, and they should have been prepped. It's very similar to having a puppy and saying, okay, here is a puppy. Here's what it's going to need for the next six months. But then here's what it's going to need until it's an adult. And then here's what it's going to need when it's geriatric. And you prep somebody for eight years. And then when that geriatric animal comes in and you want to do, you know, $200 worth of blood work, you've been talking about it for eight years. They're prepped. Yeah. When we don't blindside people, chances of their blowing up and reacting badly are much lower than if we just surprise them with this stuff. So that's, you know, that's one of the things that we're, we, it is our fault that we are not pushing information out to our clients. That is entirely our fault. Now, can we make sure that they read it? No. And (laughs) we try, but we tried. 
Um, and you have to give people messaging over and over and over again. You can't just say it once and think, okay, I've done, I've told everybody that now because they didn't listen to it, right? Mm-hmm. So we we could do that. But we also need to pay attention to the things that are happening in people's lives, and they will sometimes give us subtle cues about that, and that is active listening. So I'll give you a prime example. I was um, uh, over overseeing like a, a call, and I was um, going into the admin on a Weave account of a client of mine, and I was listening to their lead CSR have a conversation about euthanizing an animal. She was kind, she was compassionate, but she missed so many subtle cues that would have given that client a much better experience. Hmm. She missed the fact that the woman said, I want to do this when my child is not home because the last time I even mentioned putting this dog to sleep, he ran away from home. Oh, goodness. So instead of pausing and saying, I understand how upsetting that is, she just kind of kept on talking about the process Mm. of euthanizing the animal. She also had a prime opportunity to say, you know what, there's a really great book that Mr. Rogers has written for children, specifically about the loss of a pet. Let me send you the link to that book. So these are the opportunities that we have that we miss because we're in a hurry and we're not listening well. So those deep listening conversations, again, they stop a lot of the the blow-ups. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great example. And it's, that's, it's so easy, too, just thinking back to think of all the times I was on the phone and probably was like, I could explore that more, but I'm not going to because I'm really in a hurry or because really? I really don't want to be on the phone with this person for any longer because yeah. I have 12 other calls to do. Exactly. And how different those interactions might have gone if I just paid a little bit more attention. Yeah. This AHA podcast is brought to you by CareCredit. CareCredit understands you're busier today than perhaps ever before. To help free up your time, the CareCredit Health and Pet Care Credit Card allows clients to access a budget-friendly financing experience anytime from anywhere. They can learn, see if they pre-qualify, apply, and even pay if approved, all on their own smart device. With just a tap, they have a friendly, contactless way to pay over time for the services and treatments their pet needs. And you get a few more minutes to take care of patients, take care of business, and take care of yourself. I remember my car sunroof blew off. It exploded one time on the highway, just exploded. I guess there was pressure built up like Uh under the interior part of it. And the glass just blew out on the highway. It was so scary. It was like a sonic boom above my head. (laughs) And I went into the dealership and I was like, so my sunroof exploded on the highway. And the guy was like, oh, that's weird. And I was like, did you even hear me? You know, I have like a picture of this like hole in the top of my car. And like I called 911 because I thought I killed someone with it. And he was like, that's weird. And when do you want it back? You know, and I I was like, somebody needs to understand my struggle here. And that was just a car. So uh, yeah, definitely a little bit of sympathy or empathy in the right situation Mm -hmm. can go a long way. (laughs) And it doesn't take that long. You know, there was a stat several years ago, I think AVMA did this, about listening and that clients want to tell their story and, mm-hmm. and that we bring them into the exam room and we start to ask them some questions and they start to tell their story and we interrupt them within 13 to 15 seconds and they never get finished. But if we would allow them to continue and, and finish their story, it only takes 90 seconds. Mm. But they always feel dissatisfied. And I, you know, 
I've listened to a multitude of clients, as, as have you, and we know that sometimes the story meanders down a very strange path. Right. But, <laughs> but often there is something in that story that matters if we will listen appropriately. The client doesn't know that it matters, but it matters mm-hmm. to us. And it could be as simple as, you know, thinking about working in mixed animal practice, the client said, you know, my dog is limping and I have no idea why. You have a conversation and you go, well, the f- and you find out the farrier came out. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what happens when horses get their ho- hooves shot, right? So the farrier's throwing clippings out. The dog is there. Chances are really good. The dog got kicked. Oh, you have a horse. Could it be possible that your horse, you know, kind of kicked your dog? Oh, yeah. You know, that could have happened. Well, that's listening. You know, that's just yeah. listening to people's story. Um, and we're not very good at it because we are always in a panic, in a rush. Yeah, and that that's a good point, too, because that's something that CSRs can do. They can take, they can feel empowered to listen to that story and to write everything down. And I yes. think that is something that, you know, CSRs cannot be expected to know everything that technicians know or that veterinarians know about the actual medicine or about which pieces of that story are important. That's just not in the job description and it shouldn't be. They have too many other things that they know that I have no idea how to do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to work all the complicated phone system, like <laughs> power to them. But I, knowing that somebody is telling their story over the phone and they can write it down, put it in the record, make sure that you're including those little details because you don't know what's going to be important to mm-hmm. the technical staff down the road. And, yeah. um, and that is such an important part of the job is just remembering to take in what you're hearing and put it in the record. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, thinking about training CSRs or the lack of training of CSRs, mm-hmm. My team was trained on medicine because they're the ones who are answering the screening questions. It's very yeah. much a triage that's happening there. Yep. So when I tell people that my CSRs were trained on the components of a vaccine and all those diseases and what the symptoms were, they go, really? I went, yeah. And they knew the anatomy of the you know ears and rears because that's mm-hmm. what we talk about 90% of the day. And, and those are the kind of questions they were actually able to field. And then, you know, I gave them training modules and then tested them on them. And they had to make a 90 or above. And then they got dollar an hour raises because they were absolutely worth it. But they were able to take so much off of the medical team when they could answer those simple questions or ask the right questions mm-hmm. so that those questions could come back to the medical team if they needed to. Because a lot of times they didn't need to. Sometimes it was, what do I do about a tick? You know, how do I take a tick off? Well, anybody on my team could tell you how to do that. It didn't need to go to the, the techs or the, or the doctors. God forbid the doctors. But, you know, we, we need to train our team uh, to our standards of care. And they need to be able to share those with clients at all mm-hmm. levels because we're also starting the conversation about care. And we start it at the beginning and lay the groundwork in that first conversation when we're making the appointments. And then the technicians support it and the doctors rubber stamp it. And that's how we get compliance. But it's not, again, not blindsiding it when the doctor comes in and your pet needs this, this, and this. But let's let the CSRs lay some groundwork. Oh, your dog is limping? Well, just to prep you, they're probably going to want to do an x-ray. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, so important. And I hear you describing really two reasons that getting your CSRs familiar with a lot of the most common medical issues and what um, what might be involved at that appointment and the right questions to ask. There are really two reasons that that helps everyone. And one is because then the client's not hearing it for the first time when you're mm-hmm. blindsiding them in the room with a treatment plan. Um, but also, it probably escalates a lot of people to get on the phone with a CSR if they don't feel like any of their questions are getting answered. Mm -hmm. It could be so frustrating when you call and speak to a customer service person who doesn't know the answers to anything you're asking. Exactly. Um, And that's frustrating for them too, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, there was such a confidence. Uh, The four modules that my team took were common telephone questions and the answers. They took preventative care. Um, they took um, uh, like the components of blood work and, and Gold Star customer service. Mm-hmm. And the last one was the employee manual because nobody ever reads the employee yeah. manual. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, so they had to get tested on the employee manual. But, but once they went through all those and took their tests and they got their raises, they were so confident. And, you know, thinking about body language and tone when you have somebody who's really confident in their knowledge on the telephone with you and they're answering your questions, then there's trust built up. Yes. And that is really the most important thing that we can get in veterinary medicine is our client's trust. And that has to happen through the whole team. And one of the really important reasons for training all of your team on what your standards and protocols are is because clients are going to get a consistent message through every person on your team. You know, we were a huge um, Sentinel practice. We were right there in Greensboro, North Carolina, and Novartis was in our back door. So we did a lot of their clinical trials, and we were um, uh, definitely advocates for that product. But everybody on my team was trained about that product, and that was the product that we used. And if you had asked the kids stocking dog food or the practice owner, you were going to get the same answer to the question. Mm. So that consistency ended up with the 90% compliance rate on heartworm and flea prevention in our practice. And we saw no fleas in North Carolina, uh, no parvo, because we had you know consistent vaccination protocols, and um, no heartworms. Our emeticide would expire before we'd ever, we'd we'd sell it to other people because we wouldn't use it. So to say that in a practice, a five doctor practice in the state of North Carolina, that says that your team is on the ball because it was the team that did it. And it was definitely a team, a team effort. For sure. That's such a great story. I can't imagine a practice without fleas every day in North Carolina. I mean, we definitely don't have that in Pennsylvania we where would, I worked. We, would <laughs> we see fleas all the time. Yeah, if we saw something like something, would somebody pick something up on the, you know, rescue it and come mm-hmm. in and we would call people to the treatment room and go, look, come here, look at these fleas. <laughs> <laughs> Mad assistants have never seen one before, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. This is not normal for us. Look at this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a great example of the application of that consistent message. And, and it really does start and end with the front office because they're the mm-hmm. first and last people you interact with as mm-hmm. a client. Um, so those practices that have such great compliance rates that don't report, you know, I hear from people all over the place today that work is just toxic because clients are being so rude all the time. And then I hear other people say, you know, I haven't really noticed that. Things are pretty much fine. Are they just really lucky? Like, do they just have a great 
clientele that they've groomed to be nice to them, or are they doing something different? They're doing something different. They, the people who are not having problems, and believe me, I've, I'm like you, I've talked to a lot of people out there in the world. Um, the people who are not having problems are the people who have strategically trained their team. They have consistent messaging. They are very uh, customer-focused in pushing information out. They, they keep their clients informed. Um, and they have built huge trust relationships with their clients. So the clients mm. are automatically giving them the benefit of the doubt. And that is huge. Yeah, massive. That's a social currency that you build up over time. Yeah, It really so. is challenging in emergency mm-hmm. because people don't, you know, don't come to you like they, you know, or, I mean, especially if you can do especially because you're going to see them consistently, but emergency is hard. One of the biggest connection points that I've trained emergency staff members to, to do is when somebody says, oh, my regular veterinarian is Dr. Smith, is to say, oh, we talk to Dr. Smith almost every day. Mm. Because it's that, you know, six degrees of separation, right? Yeah. We like to know people who know you. And that way, there's some safety in that. There's that psychological safety that says, oh, they know my veterinarian. And yeah. that right there says, it gives you kind of a, um, a seal of approval of their regular veterinarian because they, you talk. That's so smart. I have to say, I haven't heard anyone that I remember who works at an ER practice uh, say everything's great, clients are fine. So yeah. if 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 you work for one of the for a practice like that offers twenty four seven care and have not been really finding that you're dealing with more rude clients and you know having those difficult conversations, then please email me at podcast at aha.org because I want to talk to you because I want to know what you're doing in ER. Are you doing what Debbie just suggested? Yes, like I want to know the secrets um, and so will everyone else. So if you work for ER and you think clients are being great these days, please let me know. (laughs) Um, But so you know, a lot of a lot of practices, things come from the top down, right? So you have management, their training protocols, their culture, how they treat their CSRs, and how much power they and knowledge they give them really makes a huge difference in the day to day experience of their team. Um, but I think CSRs probably often, because I did, um, feel pretty powerless uh, mm-hmm. to change the way things are done at their clinic because they are so, and and I say this not because they're less important, but because they don't usually get to make the rules, but they seem lower on the totem pole. And so they just don't get to say, I'd like to do things this way. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say to our CSR colleagues who feel that way and feel that they're just not getting those resources from management? You know, I think a lot of times CSRs, do feel that way. They feel like they don't have any power and that they just have to take it. But there's always something you can do for yourself. You you don't have to rely on your management to, to learn. And there are so many good books available to you about the things that we're talking about. And my my Bible of communication is Crucial Conversations. Mm, yes. This book, it's got three authors. One of them is Joseph Grinney. But this one... Um, if we would all learn these arts, we would have great culture in our hospital. We would have great communication with our clients. 
Um, even our families, within our families, because some of our challenging conversations are actually happening in our house. So we would just have a, a better life if we just learned how to have good conversation or good communication skills. And this book is amazing. So don't think that you have to wait for somebody to spoon feed you this information. There is stuff out there for you. And I just have finished writing an article that will come in the trends in June. Yes. Um, and it does have some training information in there, some recommended books that, you know, are cheap to buy on Amazon. But take it upon yourself to learn. Because truthfully, I'll tell you, that's how I learn most of this stuff. I mean, you can see behind me, there's a stack of ridiculous amounts of books. I love me. a full bookshelf. That's and that's thing. not even all of them. I have a Nook and a Kindle. That <laughs> <laughs> book's on too. So have book will travel. That's me. There's stuff you can learn that will help you. And then, you know, I, I had a conversation one day with the CSR team that was really excellent in a practice outside of Washington, D.C. And they said, Debbie, you know, I think we do pretty good work, but nobody ever acknowledges that. And there were five of them. And I said, well, I'll talk to your managers about that. But let me ask you this question. When have you ever acknowledged each other's good work? Have Have you looked at your fellow team member and gone, damn, you handled that client like a champ, <laughs> man. She was rough and you did a great job. Now, you tell me why you can't do that. And they looked at each other like it, it never occurred to them. And they got, well, you know, we can do that. I went, sure, do that. And then other people will see that, and hopefully mirror your example. Because we do mirror. That's that's a human nature thing to do is to mirror. So let's make an effort to praise and acknowledge each other when we are superstars in managing those difficult clients. Because some people are just amazing at it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, some people just naturally seem to understand it more than others. But, mm -hmm. but you feel as I do, that everyone can learn these of skills. Course. Yeah, absolutely. They can. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Crucial Conversations is a fantastic yeah. book. And we actually are taught, we talk a lot about, I use the phrase Crucial Conversations several times in this podcast, you know, series already. And I didn't explain what that was. So thank you for bringing that up. But that's a book that everybody um, in vet med should just have and read and maybe yeah. go back to on a regular basis. I think everybody in the world. I, I yeah, it would be you know, seriously thinking about investing it and sending it to the Senate and Congress, you know, yeah. because I think that, that would help them tremendously get over some of this gridlock that we're dealing with all the time. Agreed. Um, because it's, it really is about listening and listening for how people feel, not mm -hmm. what they say, but yeah. how they feel. And I have to think too that, you know, we have a staffing crisis in vet med now. It seems like everyone's hiring, can't keep enough people on staff to be able to meet the needs of all their clients. And um, I have to think that if, if management is encouraging this and helping to nurture these skills, um, it will only help to keep people happy on their teams. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you think about what we have going on in vet med, we have obviously issues, um, mm -hmm. the same mental health issues that they're, they're actually sort of exacerbated. But this is the root cause. We, yeah. If you're doing like meditation, this is, that's a Band-Aid, right? Yeah. So why are we cutting ourselves in the first place rather than let's stick a Band-Aid on whatever it is? Communication is the root cause. And poor communication is the root cause. If you go back and you think about why do people take you to the board as a veterinarian, chances are really good it's not your medicine. 
Yeah. Although I have seen some crap medicine out there. I won't say yeah. that I haven't. But some of those doctors just get away with that over and over again. Right. Never they end do. up at the board. Yeah. They do. But and and you know what? It's because their clients like them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but and then the ones who really are probably superstar as far as the medicine goes Mm -hmm. they're just not really great people persons and so they are the ones who have the conflicts because they're they miss these interesting and vital social cues that keep people from getting angry and upset or feeling disrespected because i'll tell you that most of the time disrespect is much more prevalent than anger and this is the other thing that we don't do very well as humans, and that is identify our emotions correctly. So I, I used to have CSRs come to me as the manager go, Debbie, Miss So-and-so is so mad. You need to come up and talk to her. And so, you know, that was my job. So I would go up and talk to her. She really wasn't mad. She was very frustrated mm-hmm. or she was feeling very disrespected. And how did we solve those problems? You know, so a lot of it is just listening, riding along with it for a while. We want to argue and negotiate. But if I can give anybody the, uh, the main tip in dealing with somebody who's upset, if you wouldn't pat a dog that's growling at you, getting ready to bite you, don't engage a client who's that mad because they can't think. Their limbic brain has completely taken over their spark brain. So all you have to do is ride along for a while. And in fear free, what do we do? We throw like treats on the floor, right? (laughs) So there's verbal treats that we give to humans. And the verbal treats are tell me more. I understand. I can see where you're coming from. And just keep going along, even though it could be completely insane. Because until you get them down to a level to where you say, would it be okay if I shared my side of that story? And then they could say, okay, yeah, I'll listen to you. You've wasted your breath. Just ride along with it. But it's hard and it takes self-discipline because we want to argue and we want to win. And we want to be right. Oh, man. Yeah. That, yeah, that is, <laughs> there really isn't anything I can add to that that will make that any better. Like you just dropped the mic right there. I was going to ask you, you know, what is one thing that practices can do right now to support their client care team? But I think that's it, right? It's like it. teaching that people is. this skill. Teach people this skill. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and there again, you know, it's, it's storytelling. You know, we're telling yep. ourselves this story. <laughs> Excuse me. The veterinarians will say, If this client is questioning me, then that means she doesn't think I'm competent at my job. Mm -hmm. But maybe the client's questioning because they really don't understand. You've you're spoken so over their head that they're lost and they don't feel they understand what you're asking them about. They're frustrated. They feel Mm -hmm. foolish or stupid. And if you ever make anybody feel stupid, then you're setting them up for anger. It's a very short trip from frustrated to anger. So important, Debbie. Thank you so much. This I I'm thinking about all the times I was Mrs. Smith in my life. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> because I get the limbic brain take I just can see the like blinders coming in and it's like, how dare you? So yes. I we've all been Mrs. Smith and we all probably will want to be Mrs. Smith again one day. So um, we have to we have to have empathy there. We do. Thank you so much. We do. You're welcome. Uh, Debbie, where can people find you? Um, I know you have a podcast. Please give us the deets on that. I do. My podcast, and it's a vodcast. So we have two. We split it. Mm -hmm. The uh, vodcast, 
is on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. It's called The Bend, and it's also available on Podbean um, and other, uh, and Spotify. Uh, we can't, my Apple account and I are having an argument, so I can't get it on <laughs> Apple <laughs> yet. Noted. <laughs> Continue to work on that. Yeah. Um, Apple doesn't make it easy. Um, you also can follow me on social media on LinkedIn at uh, Debbie Boone, Practice Consultant, on Facebook at the same, on Twitter, on Instagram. And I do have a monthly blog that I write um, about these subjects, communication, um, trying to teach people to, um, you know, to live a better life. That's my goal. Yeah. And so CSRs, treat yourself to some of those resources yeah. um, that Debbie offers because they definitely um, can make day-to-day -day life better for you, whether or not management is offering you those specific resources themselves. So, um, but, but they should. Um, this is really so important to the entire practice. Absolutely. The CSRs are the key to the kingdom. They are. <laughs> thank you so much again, Debbie. And thank you everyone for listening. Uh, we'll catch you next time on Central Line. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.